love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. We make each other better. She always reminds me about what actually matters. You know, love conquers all. Wherever he is, I I want to be there, always. She just always accepted me for who I was. He makes me a better person. It was like love at first sight. Well, love is the most important thing. There's so much power to getting a group of women to come together and truly share their soul without any sort of judgment and say, this is my truth. This is the pain. This is some of the shame that had been part of my experience, but that no longer holds me down. Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. Imagine uprooting your life and moving to a new country, new culture, new societal expectations, maybe a new language. Today's love story belongs to Gayatri and Elena, two immigrants to Canada who have created a network of love among a group of women who are carving out new lives in Alberta. This is the Canadian Love Map. Gayatri and Elena, welcome to the Canadian Love Map. Thank you for having us, Nancy. Thank you for having us. I'm excited to speak with both of you about this incredible book and and what a meaningful project you've created. Gayatri, I would love for you to share with us your story uh, from childhood through your immigration story to Canada. Yeah, absolutely. I moved to Canada when I was 15 years old. I was born in India and uh, kind of spent most of my childhood in Saudi Arabia, which is where my family moved when I was about three years old. My dad worked there as an engineer, but I had lots of connections back to India. We would go there for every summer vacation. Um, I even went back and did my grade nine and 10 in India. And then my parents decided they would move to immigrate to Canada. So my dad, uh, given his engineering background, was able to uh, immigrate as a skilled worker. And that's when they decided that I would join them for grade 11. So that's how it all started. Would you say you already had some experience with different cultures because of bouncing back and forth between India and Saudi Arabia? Oh, for sure. By the age of 15, I was quite exposed to different cultures, for sure, because even in Saudi, uh, we lived as expats. So I, I went to an American school, private school, where there were students from all over the world. So I, I had quite a bit of exposure uh, going to an American school and living in Saudi Arabia, which is a totally different culture from where I come from in India. So then you arrive in Canada. Did you go straight to Calgary? Yes, we landed in Calgary and Calgary has been my home for the most part. And what was that experience arriving there as a high school student? I would say even though I had had this multicultural exposure and and it wasn't our first time moving to a new country, there was still a culture shock. And the reason I say that is I think the rules had changed. In Saudi, we could live a comfortable life as expats because there was no expectation to sort of even learn the local language, Arabic, or 
there was no mingling with the locals for the most part. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of lived a little bit of a bubble, whereas the goal in Canada was integration. So there was definitely things that I needed to learn quickly myself and my brother. My brother was 10 years old. He was five years younger than me just to sort of even fit in, right, to make friends in school and to adjust to all sorts of things, including the climate. I think that was a big shock for for anyone that comes from sort of like a southern latitudes, I say, is I was just telling Elena this too, the, the shock of having winters be as cold as they are, but also not have daylight. I think that <laughs> like having six or seven hours of daylight was something that I had never been used to. And so that seasonality and adjusting to that, I, I, there were lots of things that we really challenged us and, and that we needed to adjust to. Now, I know that you eventually followed in your father's footsteps and became an engineer. Tell me how that happened. Maybe this doesn't come as a surprise to anyone who might be listening who has an immigrant background. The value of education was very much upheld in my family. And that's actually what I kind of uh, talk about in my story, uh, which is titled Jasmine Flowers and this book landed. And I talk about how my grandmother was sort of the first person in my life that instilled the value of education. And once we moved here, that bar of academic achievement was really held high by my own parents too. And I ended up following in his footsteps because it became a decision of practicality. It was, what can you study in four years that's going to get you a good job, a well-paying job? (laughs) And I happened to be pretty good, decent enough marks in math and science. So it just became that default where my dad was an engineer. So he kind of encouraged me to take engineering. I have a suspicion that pretty good is an incorrect uh, description, but that's all right. I'll let you I'll let you go on that one. <laughs> you eventually ended up uh, in northern Alberta in the oil fields. Is that right? That's right. What were you doing? I took electrical engineering and I really had this desire to learn my profession hands on, maybe because I had chosen this profession Due to those reasons of practicality, it wasn't something that I felt like I was totally passionate about. And that's why I took electrical engineering. It was literally, yes, my dad said so. And I was <laughs> I was decent enough in math and science, so I did it. And I wasn't finding the connection between the stuff that I was learning in school and the textbooks and what a real engineering career could look like. And so I made the decision to move up to Fort McMurray by myself at the age of 20 to do my internship in Fort Mac. and and really get hands-on and understand what does an engineer really do, Uh, not just on paper, but actually in the field. So that was part of the reason I moved and I ended up spending seven years in Fort Mac. Now, I know quite a few people who have worked in Fort Mac over the years, but I don't know the answer to this question. Is there quite a cultural diversity there? There is. That's actually one of the things I love about Fort Mac. There are people from all over the world. Oh, wonderful. So it was a welcoming environment? It was welcoming. I would say as a woman, though, it was Uh a bit more of a challenging experience because it is a male-dominated field. Mm -hmm. uh, And there's lots of, I guess, stigmas that I, I personally needed to overcome. But I found it welcoming overall because so many people move there for jobs and they're all in a similar situation where they're just, they've just moved and they're looking to make new friends. And so it was easier to find friends. Whereas it's interesting. I think in Calgary, we met people that already had formed their social circles, if you will. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of hard to break into a a circle that's they've known each other for years. Whereas in Fort Mac, um, everybody is 
sort of on that journey of just having moved there or having been there a few years and we're welcoming and it to meet new people. In a way, that was a reward for the bravery you showed to just go on this adventure at the at the young age of 20. Absolutely. I am grateful for that. <laughs> so when did you start to think that engineering was not your only path? Ah, uh, wow. I I have to say I feel like I'm still somewhat in the engineering profession. I know it sounds strange because I've now embarked on this entrepreneurial journey, but I've always had this passion of wanting to support female engineers, especially, and other minorities in STEM professions, partly just fueled from my own experience and the challenges that I mentioned of having to overcome biases and stigmas. But also as I started to progress through the career and I ended up in leadership roles, I really started to see the impact that leadership and culture has on team dynamics and the performance of the team. And I got to see roles where a leader is able to harness the, the diversity of backgrounds and skill sets in a really positive way led to a team feeling high morale and a team really doing well. And I unfortunately also got to see the opposite where that's not the case. And in the worst case scenario, that could even lead to things like bullying, discrimination, toxicity. And so I really got fascinated by this topic of leadership in general. And what is it that makes a good leader? What is it that creates a culture where everybody feels welcome to contribute their best, regardless of their background, regardless of if they're the only woman in a group of 20 men? What, what makes that woman still feel like she can bring her most authentic self and that she is appreciated for the skills that she brings and not expected to behave like a man, right? She's actually appreciated for that. And I think when I did my MBA, that ended up becoming sort of my focus area on, on leadership development. And so mm-hmm. the work that I do now, I feel privileged because I get to kind of impact and have a, a voice and build on the things that have already been done in the world of leadership development and inclusion diversity with a focus on that and continue to make those bridges for people and, and support them in that journey. It is interesting as an engineer, you are building bridges in a different way. Exactly. <laughs> Not the real bridges, but maybe the cultural ones, yeah. maybe the interpersonal ones. So Absolutely. And and those are as difficult and, and challenging to build sometimes. I would love for you to tell us how the idea for the book came out of that purpose you're talking about now. When I was doing my MBA, I specialized in social impact. And one of the areas of my study was, back to that point on inclusive leadership, uh, what really creates that kind of inclusive leadership and the culture that supports that. And I found, I stumbled across storytelling as actually a very powerful way. And there's a lot of research that backs this, you know, using lived experiences as a tool and a medium for building empathy skills. I think there's research that even suggested to, you know, people having witnessed sort of bullying or discrimination in their childhood, or maybe they've witnessed it with their friends. And those that had been exposed to that experience or have heard those lived experiences, over time, it was quite evident that they were able to have more empathy for for others that are going through that. And so that kind of became my area of study. And I, I just knew that I really wanted to test this idea of can storytelling precipitate social change, right, through building of empathy skills, Uh, for leaders as well as others that um, may come from a marginalized background. 
So when I started Campfire Kinship, I had the pleasure of meeting Elena. Campfire Kinship is my organization that I started in uh, March 2020. It's a social impact firm, and we uh, utilize storytelling to help um, build inclusive cultures. So we do it through a variety of mediums. The book is one example, but um, the bulk of our work is training and advisory to uh, companies and organizations to help them build their culture, to create a more inclusive culture and celebrate diversity. Beautiful. And that's how you met Elena. I met Elena because we were both volunteering at the board of uh, Calgary Immigrant Women's Association. Ah. We just started talking. It was literally, I think, just a coffee conversation Elena and I had, and we just started brainstorming a bunch of ideas on things that we're passionate about. And then we were like, you know what? We're, we're two powerful women ourselves. Like, let's just go and do it. I love that (laughs) so much. (laughs) Elena, what do you remember from that meeting? Oh, it is the meeting that changed my life, I think, in many aspects, for sure. (laughs) Um, I love first time chatting with Gayathri. Um, I think we found so many touch points where we have very similar passions. They're very similar ideas and goals of what impact we want to leave in Canada and globally (laughs) in this world. And I knew that after that meeting that it's going to be a very long and good friendship. Beautiful. You are the project manager of the book, is that right? Correct. Yes. So that's initially was the idea that I will come on board to support Gaia through with this project, because as you can imagine, having so many participants um, and publishing a book on its own is not an easy task to do on your own. Let's talk about those participants, because the idea was to have many different women tell their immigrant stories. Is that right? Exactly. That's correct. Our goal was to really showcase the diversity among immigrant women, um, including uh, how they came to Canada, the process of immigration, different age groups, uh, different countries where they come from. Elena, why don't you tell me your story? Oh, absolutely. Uh, My story is called uh, The Magic of Kindness because I was talking really about the kindness that I experienced when I moved to Canada and Calgary in particular. And I was so blessed to meet amazing people who helped me and my family um, to overcome all the challenges and the barriers that immigration brings. And in particular, I really tell a story about a local family um, who were in Canada for three generations who never met us before, um, before we moved to Canada, but they welcomed us into their home, into their family, and helped us during first years, and we are still very close. Can you tell me about your early years and, and where you were coming from? Um, I was immigrating from Russia. Um, That's where I was born. Um, And I was coming to Canada as a parent. I had a two-year-old son. um, And that was a very interesting aspect of the whole immigration on its own. Um, And I was in my early 20s. So back home, I was working in finance. um, And that was my area of expertise. And that's where my education was. When I was moving to Canada, I was hoping that's where I will work in. But in Canada, I had an opportunity to explore all different career paths, thanks to actually Calgary Immigrant Women's Association, where I was a participant in a program. And I decided to switch my career and I became a social worker. So right now I'm doing both. 
I'm doing social work and I manage finances at the University of Calgary. Oh my goodness. I, I'm sorry to bounce you back and forth between continents, but I want to take you back to Russia for a moment. And I want to ask, why did you decide to leave? Why Canada and why Calgary? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think my decision to immigrate came from the desire to give uh, a better life to myself and especially my son. Um, it became very strong when I became a parent. Because uh, being a parent, and especially like in your 20s, makes you realize what you want to give to your child and what you can't give to your child. And it was a huge aha moment for me. And that's when I started to explore different options and what I can do. And we had friends back home who did immigrate. And I think their stories really inspired us as a small family to consider that move. Because I truly believed that in Canada, I can provide much more security, safety, equality, um, and many other aspects that I didn't feel I had back home. And how did you come uh, to choosing Calgary? Oh, that's a whole story. So that's when I discovered that I'm a researcher. I can't just pick a city on the map, especially in a country where I have never been. Um, so I literally had a map of Canada on the wall, and I was researching province by province, city by city, including uh, Google View, <laughs> street view oh, options, great. walking. At, at that time, it was new. Um, and I had check, check marks, pros and cons for every every city across the country and Calgary won for many reasons. And I still in love with this city and I still very happy that I did that research then because it truly uh, gives me and I believe my family everything that we need. We couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centers. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centers are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit charmdiamondcenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. Elena, your accent may give you away as an immigrant, but you are not a visible minority. I'm mm -hmm. curious about your experience um, putting this book together with Gayatri and, and comparing your experience with other women who, who were visible minorities. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. There are some significant differences. It's interesting that uh, even accent that you mentioned did... Uh, create some barriers and challenges that I I experienced, and I can tell quite a few stories. But the more um, those um, aspects we have in our life that kind of give it away that you are not local, the more challenging it actually becomes. It almost like creates uh, that complexity and increases barriers for us as immigrants to feel that we belong in this country and feel that um, all doors are open for us. And you're right, because I'm not a visible minority, it was much easier for me. But it was, it was interesting when I was going through every chapter in the book and um, 
as a researcher, kind of analyzing it mm-hmm. a little bit or maybe too much, um, there were some very significant themes that came up that most of us, visible minority or not, we did experience some very similar uh, challenges and barriers where, let's say, we did not feel that we belong or we didn't feel that all doors are open for us and we had to find our way to cope and learn from it and grow and become more resilient and we all found different ways how to do it and that's what I love about this book I think that anybody who reads it because we have those 37 stories can find uh, inspiration um, in how to overcome challenges like that because I feel every individual faces them at some point in their lives. Mm -hmm. I I really believe that belonging is a fundamental human need. And Elena, while you put a positive spin on your experience that you in some ways had it easier because you were not a visible minority, the flip side of that, of course, is is, uh, really sad. And, And Gayatri, can you address that? I don't know if you had that experience as being a woman who didn't appear to be Caucasian, but I'm sure you encountered it in the stories from the women in your book. Oh, for sure. And I just want to say thank you, Elena, for your honesty, because when you take a collection of stories like that, it's really revealing what some of these kind of larger patterns are. And it makes you realize that, A, you're not alone, but also you as an individual are not broken. It's it's not something you did or it's something that's your fault that you can open that door to get that job, for example, because there is this larger systemic issue of, I'll just name it, racism, mm. right, uh, for people of color. And we could see those patterns coming up quite often from, from the stories of women who were visible minority uh, versus not. And even the accent issue, um, there were some clear themes on being again, discriminated or, uh, or being judged as not having sufficient English language skills and things like that. So you definitely do see those themes when you put the stories together. So you had stories from 37 women representing 30 countries. And I would love to talk about those conclusions. So, so what, what did you learn from everyone pooling their experiences? You know, the one thing that I, I learned was the experience of sexism, unfortunately, is universal. And I say that in terms of the fact that these women were from 30 different countries in the world, but several of their stories pointed back to experiences of sexism, misogyny, patriarchy in their home countries. And what was really interesting was that it's so universal, but the degree to which they experienced that is different, right? Uh, For example, one woman talks about this pressure to get married by a certain age because women are kind of seen as Christmas cakes <laughs> where if they kind of pass a certain age, they're expired for the yeah. marriage market. And it's interesting when you see examples like that of the kind of pressures and, and barriers that women face in different parts of the world. I think back to my life here and I actually think I'm quite privileged as a Canadian woman now that I don't experience that same level of discrimination that other women have. I was just taken aback by the sense of gratitude that I feel for being in Canada. And yes, we have a journey to go, right? We we do have work to do in building a truly inclusive society, but let's not forget that we're standing on the shoulders of people who have sacrificed to get us these rights to, especially women's rights. And boy, am I so grateful to to be able to 
experience and benefit from that. And that was kind of, for me, the biggest aha moment. Part of my motivation to do the work I do now in Campfire Kinship to build inclusive cultures and, and things stems from that too, in a sense, in the, there is still more work to do, right? Let's recognize it and let's all work towards creating that. But this book represents that work so well. Like, I'm sure it's it's changing people's attitudes. It's heartbreaking for me to think about someone coming to Canada with this expectation of a free society where they're going to be embraced and then experiencing a negative journey of, you know, being othered. And even for the women who you've included in the book, but everyone they know, everyone the book touches, I'm sure it's going to make such a difference. Elena, you were in charge of of that uh, research to create the conclusion of the book. I'm very curious to know what your learnings were and what was that conclusion? Oh, yeah. Well, conclusion is rather short, but trust me, it can be a whole another book. It was, for me, very inspiring to go through every story, literally line by line, and try to identify, you know, the patterns, the similarities, the common voice that every woman shared, uh, but also the differences. And I agree with Gayathri that there were a lot of commonalities around the reasons why people immigrated and what they were looking for. Um, But everybody experienced it differently, for sure. What was inspiring for me is to see the story progression, because we all had to write a story, you know, some glimpse of our immigration from beginning to end, whatever that story is. And every story has hope at the end. And that's what I truly love about this book, uh, because no matter what challenges or difficulties uh, every woman faced in her immigration journey, they all found and showed strength and resiliency and ability to learn and grow from that experience. Experience. And the most exciting part, personally, for me, they actually turned it around and most of them became either advocates for, you know, equity or equality or human rights or women's rights or, I don't know, better parenting strategies. Like, it, 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 just name it. I think we have it all in the book. And when I was creating the, the patterns and themes, that's what it was really about. It was from overcoming challenges to advocating for better world and for better well-being for everyone, or from being in a very stressful and experiencing a roller coaster of immigration to becoming a leader in your community. And I can go on and go on. And for me, that's an inspiration. Like immigration is a roller coaster, and that's how I refer to it in my story, because it is. And we may in real world, we will smile and we will, you will see us doing our best to fit in and belong. And you will not see all that stress on our faces. Our body will not show it, but it is there. There is no immigration story that is perfectly ideal with no challenges. It just does not exist. So I really hope everybody out there who maybe have never experienced immigration, they can take that learning and maybe ask next time people around them if they know they're immigrating and not just why did you immigrate, but how's it going for you? Mm -hmm. I think that's true of people in general as well, though. You know, we wear a mask that shows the world that everything's fine when we might be going through a lot behind that mask. Uh, Gayatri, 
when I was a child, I heard the expression, in unity there is strength. And I didn't understand it in context at the time, but it, for some reason, really stuck with me through my life. And it keeps surfacing as I hear you talk about this project. It feels like you have empowered the women. Not only have you shared the stories of 37 women, but you've also empowered them. Is that right? Nancy, I, I love this question. The whole project was a co-creative collaboration. We had lots of you know creative brainstorming activities and then sort of like a writing workshop style process where I led them through the process of writing their story. And for me, the magic in this project was during those workshops because I really got to see how much more a sense of belonging can be created when we can just come together from a place of compassion, right? From a place of, I want to tell my story and I want to listen to yours without judgment, without sort of feeling like we have to hide parts of ourselves. We can just show up and be who we are, just the way we are. And there's so much power to that. There's so much power to getting a group of women to come together and share and and truly just kind of share their soul without without any sort of judgment and say, this is my truth. This is the pain. This is maybe the some of the shame that had been part of my experience, but that no longer holds me down and I can be free and I can share this truth and I can hold space to hear your truth and believe you, not question it, not invalidate it, but actually believe you. And Nancy, that was just the most empowering experience even for me. There must have been such an amazing sense of connection in that process. And I can't help but also think that the project will really be about love in the end. So as much as you talk about struggle, I expect that there's a lot of paradox. Is there a lot of love for Canada as well represented in the stories? Absolutely. I think that's a striking feature for sure. And I think what was really interesting was even despite the diversity that we had in this in this group, uh, to your earlier point around unity, right, Nancy, we had 30 different countries represented, but we could all feel united by this love for Canada and by this sort of pride in our own transformation. And the, the title of the book includes the word transformative. And I think that's where there's this love and this pride is that, yes, there were difficulties and there was pain that a lot of folks have experienced, but there's also this transformation uh, to become and to belong and there's love and pride and, and unity in that. What do you love most about Canada, Gayatri? It's given me the wings to really realize my potential. I think that's what I love. And, that, and actually, in the dedication of the book, I reference roots and wings because I feel like I'm proud of my Indian roots as well. And I'm, I, I dedicate the book to my parents because they've given me that, those roots and they've also given me, by braving the journey of immigration, they've also given me wings because through their immigration, through Canada kind of embracing me, I have found my wings. Wow, Elena, you must find that inspiring given that you came here for your son. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I agree with you, Nancy. And actually, at the beginning of the book, I wrote to my son for inspiring me to make the life changes that open doors. May you boldly walk through them. <laughs> 
because for me, that was the most important part. And even though Canada opened so many doors and opportunities for me, and that's what I love, still love about Canada, because I know all these doors and opportunities are there for me. I just need to get inspired and uh, courageous to go and open them. But I really want my son to do that. And I know he has it. He doesn't have to worry about it now. He's here. He's Canadian. And he can kick all those doors. <laughs> I love that. And what do you love most about living in this country now? For me, it is actually diversity. From the first day when I arrived, from my first bus ride, my first, I don't know, education in Canada, um, the diversity that Canada represents is inspiring and um, fascinating to me because I'm allow I'm allowed and I can learn about so many different cultures and all these people can bring together all their wisdom, all the knowledge and all the differences that in the end unite us together. Well, that is, uh, it seems to me, exactly what you've done with this book. And when we found out about it, we thought that is a great story for the Canadian love map. But I'd also love to ask you both, what can Canada and Canadians do better to accept and embrace immigrants? I think it starts with curiosity. I yes. think just being open to hearing a story, maybe digging under the surface a little bit to try and understand what might have been some of the lived experiences or the challenges the person has, has, has faced that inspired them to go on this journey and to be who they are today. I think just going under the surface, which storytelling is a powerful tool for that, mm -hmm. is the message I'd like to leave all Canadians with. And it starts with that curiosity. Elena? I, I agree with Gayathri that it does start with curiosity and asking questions. Um, I remember when I moved to Canada um, at the beginning, I was often asked a question, why did you move? And even more than 10 years later, I am still asked that question. I would encourage everyone to think about other questions you can ask. <laughs> I think that will start a conversation. It will open the door uh, to explore more uh, about those people or families that you're trying to interact with. I personally think a better question to ask is, what does home mean to you? It's a deeper question, but it also kind of fosters a sense of belonging because it helps people think about where they feel a sense of belonging and home rather than where do you come from? Because when I, when I get asked where you come from and mm -hmm. I, I say I'm, I'm from Calgary, I'm Canadian, yeah. <laughs> there's usually an eyebrow raised. It's like, no, where, where are you really from? Like, or where are you from originally? Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the curiosity that comes with the question. And I, I don't ascribe negative intent to that, but it can make someone, especially visible minority, feel othered. Even though they're different stories, it is clear that you have woven them together with love. And I just want to say thank you so much for that. And congratulations. Thank you. This it was a real treat to be part of this conversation and uh, share our experience with you. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Thanks, Elena, too. Thank you, Nancy. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. And if you want to help us spread the love even more, rate and review our podcast. It makes such a difference. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map.
This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter.